0: It's a beautiful day, um, you know, where we celebrate the legacy of love and uh, provision and support and protection that our fathers bring to the household. Um, But I do understand that Father's Day is also tainted with grief for some of us. Uh, And so I just want to acknowledge, like these national days of recognition aren't necessarily universally filled with joy. So um, my own wife lost, lost her father when she was 19, so I didn't get the chance to meet the guy. Um, and his passing, you know, like it affects you for life. I met with a young guy whose dad passed away at 38 this week, um, which is my age, which is just too young. That's crazy. And these these, these events change the course of our lives. So, um, you know, but I think we can all agree that family is God's idea. Yeah, amen. Right. <clears throat> family is God's idea and life is definitely better together. Yeah, yeah? life is better together. And so my question this morning really is, what does that look like? Like in our society, um, when people fall short or things happen, how do I actually feel connected to other people um, on a deeper level than I'm currently experiencing? And so I wanna tackle that big question today. How do I feel connected with people? And I'm doing it on Father's Day because I know this is, it's not uniquely a dad issue, but it is specifically a dad issue as well. You know, like dad's... um, you know, if we could just honor them for a minute, they, they generally work quite hard to, to help us survive. <laughs> and then they do a lot of family stuff as well, you know. And rarely do they have time for themselves in the mix. And I know that there's disparities, but uh, there are a lot of men living isolated lives. And um, there was a sense like, I don't know, we just went through COVID, right? And I think it illustrated for us um, what we already knew is that we are living pretty Isolated lives, right? There was a sense that lockdowns um, were disconnecting us from our social networks. Yes, but actually, I think for a vast majority, it actually just it kind of it just highlighted what was already a trend in their lives. You know that that life was already deeply disconnected. So there is a catchphrase for this latest generation. I don't even know what they called. What are they called? Like Z or something? Twelve D. <laughs> So the the phrase is, we are social, right? Um, Because there's now 4.7 billion active social media users globally. 4.7 billion on social media. That's uh, just over 60% of the world population, right? And it's increasing at a rate of just around 10% a year. That's huge. The average amount of time spent by these individuals online is six hours and 49 minutes, six hours and 49 minutes. And for the, for the ages 16 to 24, that, that's a day, that's per day, sorry, six hours and 49 minutes per day of screen time. And for those between 16 and 24, it hits up around eight hours a day. That's a lot of time. I don't know if you've ever noticed, your phone probably sends you a notification once a week, says you spent 23% more than last week or something, you know, like anyone get those? That's startling. You're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you did. <clears throat> anyway, um, so that's 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 pretty big. And do you know our our biggest source of news that we go to now is social. You know, that's where we get our current events and our information. We go to social, and so it's it's kind of impossible to track. Um, but there are changes that happen culturally. There's trends that are happening at a rate of social media change. You know how frequently social media changes its trends? You know, culture is changing at that same rate. And there's statistics. I have no idea how they get these statistics, but in New Zealand, we are at 72% in terms of the adoption rate of global online trends. 72%. In other words, we're right in the heat of it, you know? We may be out here on this little island in the middle of the Pacific, floating along. We're probably not floating. It's probably grounded. But, um, But it's still like we're a mile away, and yet... We are right in the thick of it. There's a dude, uh, Josh McDowell, wrote a book uh, a while ago called Disconnected. And it like years and years ago, like it was well before its time. And he talked about how uh, disconnection was being perpetuated from long hours in front of, like passive hours, you know, in front of entertainment, TVs, computers, blah, blah, blah. It's probably before social or uh, the internet really hit the thing. Yeah. When was it, Catherine? It's <laughs> just teasing. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry but like the fear was that the the fear that was that kids would be isolated from human interaction right from social interaction and that even adults kind of in their busyness uh, their lives wouldn't forge deep connection with their kids and so years ago they were anticipating what we now have which is problems with mental and emotional health you know, which is why we've just been on this eight-week series. And, um, and thank you, Gideon, for rounding that up last week. That was awesome. But the research shows that our cyber world is rewiring our brains. Not just kids' brains, but all of our brains. And it's affecting the way that we flourish or, or, or not flourish, don't flourish, whatever, um, in, in real world. You know, so real world, you know, anxiety, depression, um, attention issues, those, those things are like soaring, you know. The thing, I, the thing is, um, yeah, I, I, what I notice is parents, myself included, escaping into this world more and more too. You know, it's not just young people. This is Chick, um, sorry, Chick, Maurice Roberts, and she wrote this. In the 1990s, she wrote this. When Jesus ceases to fulfill our pleasure, satisfaction, joy, and ecstasy, our souls will go in a silent search of other lovers. What a, what a line, eh? Okay. When Jesus ceases to fulfill our pleasure, satisfaction, joy, and ecstasy, our souls will go in search, silent search of other lovers. I read this quote to a mentor of mine, and he answered with, what are the things that you cling and hold to? He said this, if you can't rattle off 10 or 20, then what does that say about the delusion that you're living in? Whoa, right? Yeah, you gotta have those people in your life. You know? Who just like jab. <laughs> <clears throat> um yeah. So that's what I've been wrestling with. Um, you know, when when you take your heart, which is uh you know, made for something really particular, really special, and you dunk it in this, like, partial world of incompletes, you know, that falls short of the beauty of Eden that we were created for, then you're left just feeling parched. I'm feeling parched, and that's running out. Um, the soul, our soul, right, is, is constituted in such a way that it just craves fulfillment. You know, from things outside of ourselves that we can't just produce from the inside of ourselves, in and of ourselves. Uh, you know, we we wanna we want connection, deep connection, and if we don't get deep connection, then we embrace the you know the non spiritual ones. Yeah, it's not for nothing that that Satan tempted Eve so easily. You know, all he said was like, "Hey, look, it's an apple. Oh, it's pleasing on the eyes." You know, and ah, oh, um. That tree is to be desired. This is what she says. You know, like we're all in spiritual danger of allowing ourselves, if we go for any length of time without deep abiding connection, you know, tasting the love of the Father and actually soaking in His felt comfort, the Holy Spirit's presence, we're all in trouble. Because just around the corner, you know, is the flesh and the ease of life. The the lads were reading the 63rd Psalm this week. And uh, it says, the psalmist speaks um, that seeing thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You know, like being right there in the sanctuary with God and seeing his power and his glory. And it talks of having a soul satisfied as with marrow and fatness. You know, that, that's what really satisfied. Something dripping and fat and oil. Some of you like sweet things, but... <clears throat> greasy, you know, bacon buddies. <clears throat> Rejoicing in the shadow of thy wings. You know, we crave for this deep connection with God and people. And if we don't taste that genuine connection frequently, then our you know, we 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 go off course. Actually, we give ourselves to idols. <sighs> so I have a cheesy question for you. Um WWJD. Right? <laughs> Anyone got a bracelet on still? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> bring it back. Yeah, Asha, sure. you would. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, you know, what would Jesus do? Definitely not me. Um <clears throat> The incarnation of God, you know, came at this special place in history, happened at this unique time. Um, God's perfect plan of redemption, you know, according to all the promises and all the prophetic scripture, the prophecies, exquisite timing, right? And Jesus came to earth and he modeled for us perfect theology. He modeled us deep connection, deep abiding connection with the Father and to those around him. You know, um, John John five nineteen. Jesus gave this answer. He's very truly, I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For what the Father loves, the Son, uh, sorry, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. You know, like, man, the connection that the Son and the Father shared, even while He was on earth, you know, as a... Dude, like a a living human being, man, connected intimately with God the Father. You know, so my question uh, to follow up would be, how connected would Jesus really have been with people around him? You know? And I don't necessarily have time to track. I'd love to track through Scripture and go, hey, this Shows trends, but we don't have time for that. Um, but like from one perspective, it seems like Jesus is kind of nomadic, just cruising around. You know, he had a preference for solitude. He liked disappearing up the mountain, uh, going across the lake. But if you look at his lifestyle, he was deeply rooted in community. You know, like they all lived together, they all moved around together, they all travelled together. He he rarely had time and space for himself. That's why he deliberately set aside time to disappear. You know, so his ministry, specifically those three years of ministry that the Gospels really focus on, in on, um, you know, he's surrounded by family and friends, his disciples. He was ministering to people all the time. Um, you know, and yet, on the other hand, I really feel like part of our feeling of disconnection, right, that, that kind of soul ache of feeling disconnected, part of that is, is about that we are disconnected from society, and that should be a hallmark of Christianity, you know, like we actually have to learn to live with a little bit of disconnect because there's, there's an element of that which is about us coming out of society and being in, in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. Uh, Jesus was talking to the scribes um, who wished he wanted to follow him as a disciple and he was talking to him and the scribe was boasting. Um, he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay, uh, lay his head. He wasn't saying that he was homeless because uh, there's, there's not a case for that in Scripture. Uh, but he was saying that he's like, he's about the father's mission and that as such, um, you know, it was normal to feel a disconnect with society. There's an Indian philosopher, um, you know, not all of his stuff's solid, but he did say this, which I thought was pretty profound. He said, it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. However, there is feelings that we have. There are feelings that we have of disconnect that are of relational concern, right? We, we have learned somehow to cope doing life alone, right? Internally. I was gonna do a bench press right now, but the guys took the weights off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, lucky for you. Yeah, you can come and set it up. What I wanted to represent was that I was going to load it up. What were you up to? 100? Yeah, so I was going to probably push it a bit, you know, 130, just to make it, just to make it fair on you. Uh, but without a spotter, uh, a friend of mine was doing his, um, his PB last week. He's a, he's a personal trainer. He was doing a PB last week, Brazilian guy, 160 kgs, and he didn't have a spotter, but he was filming himself, and he lifted it, and then it landed on his chin. And I was like, dude, why don't you push it away from you? Like, you roll it down your body. It looks awkward, but it's better than the alternative. You know, but do you know what? We are so used to doing life by ourselves. You know, like your 3,000 people on Facebook aren't going to come and help you spot. They're not real friends. Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, they're not necessarily going to be there for you to deeply connect with you when you need them to, to hold your hand, to lift the bar off your face. Um, I'm glad I didn't illustrate that, actually. Hey, um, so there's this big church. There's this really big church. It's one of the biggest in America, in the world. Um, 2,700 small groups they have. It's quite a few, eh? We might have 27, so we're on the way. Um, 2,700 small groups. And they have five practices that help them build um, authentic relationships. And they actually discovered these because they went around 2,000, 700 small groups. They went around 2,700 leaders leading those small groups. That's a lot of leaders, right? One day, one day. And, um, and they asked them, what are the five practices? What are the trends? What are the things? The rhythms of life? What do you see in your life groups? What do you notice? And these were the five things, right? You ready? Self-disclosure, right? To allow other people to know us and to be known, make ourselves known. Caregiving, right? To love each other, to be loved by one another. Humility, yeah, to serve one another, to be served, wash each other's feet, truth-telling, right, to admonish one another, and to be admonished, like, discipline, and, you know, like, hitting each other up, affirmation, is number five, to celebrate one another, and to be celebrated, what, five trends, five things that they noticed in 27 thousand life groups. Those are the hallmarks. Those are the, the benchmark. That's the, the water table of like what it looks like to be deeply connected in relationship with one another. You know, imagine, imagine if our life groups look like that. Like the thriving network of little communities that we would have at Harmony if our life groups, I mean, to be honest, our life group does look like that, eh, Uh But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Number three, humility. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just ruined it for us. Oh, I'm sorry, lads. I let the team down. Well done, Andrew. Well picked. Oh. Sorry, Lord. No, it's k- kidding. Jokes. Yeah. Um. Wow. You know, <laughs> thanks, man. I honestly, though, how we relate to one another. Is the biggest indicator of our spiritual maturity, you know. Like relationships are such a such a big indicator of where we're at, maturity-wise. And, um, you know, if our life groups are not there yet, or our relationships are not there yet, then we've got to ask the question why. Yeah, we've got to ask the question why. And there's a big chance that the answer I'm gonna offer you in a second is gonna make you feel angry or misunderstood, but my hope is that we can just push past that um, <laughs> because getting past it is how we get the answer, right? How we get to the answer, you know? Um, there's this thing called a blind spot, yeah? Put your hand up here and you know yours. <laughs> when you're driving in a car, there's a blind spot, right? You can't quite see in the rear view, sorry? Right, <laughs> some of us got reversing cameras, Uh Peter Scazzaro, you know, the series that we've done, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the, uh, Peter where we, we called it, what do we call it? Living free. Uh, he called it the shadow side. Yeah, yeah? the shadow side. And essentially the, the behaviors in us that cause incidents around us to be replicated all the time because these incidents are brought around by something that we do. In other words, they, <clears throat> it often incites questions in you. Like it relates to some of these questions, you might. Why is everyone against me? Why does everybody bring me down? Why does everyone abandon me? Why do my friends betray me? Why does no one pursue me? Why is life isolating me? Why do I feel disconnected? You know, um, the answer in all of those is like everybody out there has something to do with it. But actually the common denominator is me. I'm the common denominator. And if I'm, I'm not saying this to blame you, but (laughs) I'm saying this so that we take responsibility, right? Because we've got to explore the things that we can't see about ourselves, you know. That's how we find the answer to the to the question. That's how we solve that disconnection problem. Uh, so, if it's everybody else's fault and you're feeling a bit indignant about that, um, hang in there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just giving a few things here because we took so long over that bench press. Um, <laughs> I want to leave you with a tool, okay. Um, it's a way of revealing our shadow side. Yeah, uh, essentially we make we create false selves, false selves that we've created um, to cope with life, and and to cope uh, and work. You know, outside of deep connection with God and others. Um, there's a book called Captivating years ago. Stacey Eldridge wrote it, and she called it Fallen Eve. Uh, but it's that fig leaf, right? The protection, cover up. Um, that It's kind of habituated, like we, we make it into a habit. And it, it becomes the primary way of how we relate to other people, yeah? Our false self. So there's a tool and it's called styles of relating. And we all have predominant styles of relating, okay? I'm gonna sum, summarize a ton of literature and studies for you and uh, put these in three words, okay? I'm either a person that moves away, I'm a person that moves towards or I'm a person that moves against, all right? Away, towards, against. Away, I withdraw, I hide, I check out, self-preservation, emotional distance. Um, You know, I get along, but just really, you know, I keep myself from real closeness in my heart. I'm I'm inside here. Sometimes it looks like passivity or voicelessness, um, not challenging others, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Moving towards, uh, I'm compliant. I need you to like me. You know, I appease you. Um, to please you and to avoid rejection, I feel secure when I'm connected with people, even if it's unhealthy, even if it's unholy connection. I'm compulsive like that. I need to be liked and serve other people, and you know, don't rock the boat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Move against. Uh, follow me or get out of the way. Right? It feels best when I'm in control or in charge. Uh, it feels unbearable when I'm not leading. Um, you know, what can I gain from this relationship? How can I succeed? You know, what are the outcomes? Um, you know, I sacrifice relationship for ambition or success or what feels like positive outcomes. Don't handle criticism well. Don't play by the rules, those sorts of things. Okay, so those are those three, right? You might already going, oh, yeah, he's talking to me on one of those or all three of those. Uh, you have a dominant style and it's in service of your false self. Because I can project this false self out there and then I'm hiding behind it, yeah? Uh, Can you see yourself in any of those things? You might be able to self-diagnose. You might need somebody to help you jump in the life group. Let's do it this week. Why not? Uh, Oh, there's some handouts out there. So if you (laughs) want to, actually, no, yeah. Um, Anyway, don't be, I'm going to read you the healthy version, eh? Let's skip down to the healthy version. I just want to point out, Jesus was, fluid between these healthy versions okay all three styles like i i really believe that actually um you know they're just distortions of the image of god manifesting in us and they're, and they're meant to be dismantled and then restored you know and we get mature in the other two that were not dominant in, and and they're you know dismantled and restored so here we go here's a healthy version moving away Maybe um, moving away, people tend to have a bit of a monastic heart to them. They they experience um, reality that welcomes stillness. They like to trust God's timing. They'll, you know, way rather than self determination. They model self care well. Uh, they have healthy boundaries. That scripture that we've been reading about the unforced rhythms of grace really resonates with them. You know, in the midst of suffering or whatever is going on in life yeah move towards healthy move towards uh extraordinary ca- capacity for empathy you know they really validate people um no one is more important than their, to them than the person in front of them you know um a restored move towards reveals that other people are worthy of love that that they do belong um they have a profound capacity to intercede. And they often share in other people's pain. They're great hospitality people. Um, They are affectionate, compassionate, selfless, and sharing. They know how to cultivate connection. Okay, move against people, move against people. Uh, When they're in the service of love, you know, they are natural leaders. They lead with a servant's heart and they serve with a royal heart. You know, they know that they're sons and daughters, and so they're people of action. They they show what it means to have a harnessed strength that's yielded to God. Make room for other people to thrive. Um, they they sacrifice finances and influence uh because they're at, at the disposal for other people thriving. Right? They know what it is to walk in authority but submit to authority. Um they're deeply confident, but they know how to listen, how to defer, how to hear from people. Um tr- they truly care about investing in the kingdom. Um, but actually, this is this is quite profound. Um, they care more about your heart than your usefulness as a means to their end. So, wow, those are big co- counterparts in stark contrast to the unhealthy version, right? Unhealthy, healthy version. And often we spiritualize our false selves, um, but what would it look like to invite others to come out of their false self? Like if we walked around and love knew how to love people well so that they actually felt safe to come out of their false self i think that's what life groups could be i think that's what families could be i think that's what our relationships could be and you know what i, I really believe that um we would resolve some of the disconnection issues that we have i know i know for myself that god is making me aware of my predominant self my false self that style that i use and and He's calling me to step away from it, right? So that He, he can mature me. He's deconstructing it and He wants to do a restoration work. He wants to do that in all of us. So there's an exercise that you can do with somebody that you feel safe with. Um, it's good to do it contained because we want it to be, we don't want to wound each other deeper, right? <laughs> Let's not just go around calling each other out. Um, This is for a safe place. But I want to leave you with some questions this morning because um, I really believe Holy Spirit loves this stuff because He likes us walking in healing and and wholeness, right? That's that's His mission for us on earth is growing them up in maturity into Christ-likeness, into perfection, right? Be perfect as I am perfect or... What was that scripture you used last week, Gideon? It was brilliant. <laughs> for for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know, Hebrews ten fourteen. He's making us holy, right? We're already perfect, <laughs> but we're on process. So here's some questions I wanna leave you with this morning. And uh, just let them sit in your heart. And just ask Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with this for me? What would you say is your predominant style of relating to others? What's the false selves that you fall into? And how do you you think other people experience the way you relate? How do you think other people experience the way you relate? Probably better out there. Read that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I thank you that connection was your idea. That you created us with this deep longing, this deep yearning for intimate relationships, with connection so we feel grounded and whole in love with one another, and in love with you. I pray that you would speak to us. We ask you to speak. We invite you to speak. Holy Spirit, speak. What are the false selves? What are the walls that I pull up and function out of? Be the loudest voice within me, God. Because we want to move to a place where we can deeply connect with one another. Yeah, so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way this morning. We invite you to minister to us, we invite you to speak.